had ended all the temptations. Wouldn't that be a glorious thing that could happen in our life right, right about now? If the devil would just end all the temptations. But this is in reference to Jesus. But I want you to notice, he ended the temptations and he departed. But it was only for a season. And I have a feeling that he told Jesus when he was exiting the wilderness that day in the early, very beginning stages of Jesus' earthly ministry. Following his baptism, after he was baptized, the Bible said the Spirit of the Lord led him into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. When that 40 days was over and the devil departed, defeated. He departed, defeated. But I am quite sure he was looking back over his shoulder, pointing his finger, saying, I'll be back. I'll be back. No one here tonight, no one. Everybody say no one. Look at your neighbor and say you. No one is exempted from temptation. Does it make any difference how old or young and how long you've known God or not? Does it matter? And he may depart, and you may win the victory, but he'll be back. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1, the Bible said, To everything, to everything, there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. I want to speak to you for a little while tonight about just, just very simply tempted. Somebody say tempted. We're all tempted. I'm tempted on a regular basis to overeat. My daddy used to say all the time that uh, just the food is so good, I don't know when to quit. I think I inherited that. <laughs> kind of tell by looking around, so did some of you. Then you look around again and you can say, and such were some of you. So diets help and what have you, but usually it all comes back kind of like the devil does. On a serious vein tonight, in a serious vein, sometimes a preacher, more specifically a pastor, is cast into the very unpopular role of preaching things that either people don't want to hear or things that they don't want to believe. There's nothing more disconcerting for the pastor than to know that he has heard from God. He has had some, or just wants to impart some good advice, not necessarily his own advice, but that of Scripture that would help mightily in people's desire to want to serve God more victoriously than they ever have. But here comes that huge problem called tempted. There's nothing more scoffed at by American Christian people than the idea of spiritual warfare. When you mention spiritual warfare to the average churchgoer, first of all, there's only a few that really knows what it is. The rest of us try to choose to ignore it. But as most of you learned in a Sunday school class as a child, there's a big old booger man that is steadily on your trail. And all he wants to accomplish in your life is to deny you heaven as your eternal destiny. Doesn't make any difference to him whatsoever how he goes about accomplishing that. It does not matter. Everybody say it don't matter. I like to say, and I like to be honest and transparent, as all of you know, but there are some sins in our world that don't bother me. Don't tempt me one iota. I can tell you one right now is gambling. People that have gambling issues, I don't get it. I don't understand why you want to take four or $5,000 down to the river to a casino 
and just give it to somebody. And actually, you don't even see the person that's ultimately getting it. You're just seeing a person with black pants or skirt or whatever and a white shirt, and they deal cards and take your dollar and put it in that little thing and just slide it right down in there, and it's gone. And you give them another one and another one. And then what's really awesome, and I have seen this on, on a few occasions, is these people just have bags or containers of nickels and quarters and put them in them machines and hit that bleezer, buddy, and their eyes are glazed over and think you could hit them in the back of the head with a board and they wouldn't even feel nothing. They just, they're just addicted and, and what have you. I'm not belittling that or making fun of that, but that don't appeal to me. If I'm going to take any quantity of money and spend it on something, I would like to spend it on something that I can have some return out of it. Everyone said amen. Do you go to a restaurant and just put $50 on the table and turn around and walk out? Why are you all looking at me like that? You don't know what I'm talking about? There's nothing more scoffed at, especially in American religious circles, than the idea that a spiritual war is going on right now over your soul. Over yours, yours is not a person here tonight that's exempted from that. Most people just don't want to believe that they are in spiritual warfare and the thing that's being fought over is your soul. Nobody wants to believe that. Look, I was born and raised in Pentecost. This isn't my first rodeo. I've been around this block before. But I have seen more people get real sleepy on the church pew and go to sleep, continue to come, continue to give, but are aloof spiritually. No prayer life, no consistent prayer life unless something bad happens. No consistent Bible reading. I've been born and raised in this stuff and I, I know what I'm talking about. If people don't just read your Bible but study it. Paul wrote to Timothy that you should study the Word of God, rightly divide it, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, and so on. If you studied your Bible on a regular basis, you wouldn't sit in my Sunday school class or his Sunday school class and be asked a question and sit there and stare at people like brook trout. Now, that is the coolest thing I've heard in a long time. I love that idea of just staring at somebody like brook trout. I just got a mental picture of that in my head, and I just think it's cool. But bottom line, we don't know our Bibles, as, and I'm not here to be condemnatory, I'm just pointing these things out. It's because we have not developed spiritual eyes that can see into what's going on around us in the spirit world. It is difficult for our very limited imagination, if you will, to even consider the thought of warfare going on around us between good and evil, between God and the devil, over our soul. We somehow think that because we're a child of God, the devil's not going to fool with us, or we're not productive anyway, so the devil's not going to fool with us. You've deceived yourself both ways. The devil is interested in your soul, and he might be, he might be behind the reason we're not as productive in the kingdom as we should be. Eh, just because you don't see tanks and armored personnel carriers and jet airplanes and guns and weapons, that, that don't mean there's not a battle going. I'm not, I'm not talking to you generically here tonight. And I don't know, maybe some of us need a demon to walk into our room and stare at us while we're sleeping and wake us up and stare at that thing for a while. And it might change your, your mind about spiritual warfare, and I hope that never happens to anybody. But if it ever does, it'll give you a different point of view concerning spiritual warfare. This is what the devil wants to do here in America. I believe that God has raised up our country. This is my personal feeling. It's one of the youngest countries on the planet. Uh, in comparison to large company, uh, countries and so on. But I believe it's possible 
that God raised up this country because He knew the world would need a gospel Christian lighthouse to send people around this planet with the Word of God. I don't really know of any other country that's doing it quite like we are. That's not only UPC apostolic uh, denominations, but also any and every denomination. Most Any prevalent denomination in our country today is doing everything it can to send as many people and pour as much money as they can overseas to bring the light of the gospel to every creature. And I thank God for that. So the devil's response to that, listen to pastor tonight, the devil's response to that is to somehow lull the church to sleep or to make the church real sleepy, not fervent, not passionate, not praying, not studying the Word of God. We're just going to coast along. We're saved and we know it. Everybody say amen, that kind of song thing. And if you're saved and you know it, say amen. And, and we just sing that little song, we're saved, everything's cool, and one day heaven would be ours. I'm not so sure about that. C.S. Lewis said, the safest road to hell, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, the soft underfoot without sudden turnings, without milestones. It's the safest way to get to hell. In a little book that he wrote called The Screw Tape Letters, he wrote that the devil wants two things out of American saints. Either that they ignore the devil and his demons, or that there is an over-heightened curiosity about him. Anything he can do to get you out of the Word of God and to get, your, your, to get God out of your mind. Listen to Pastor tonight. One man said, and I quote, There can be no sound theology. There can be no sound theology without a sound demonology. We need to know our adversary. The New Testament teaches to know your adversary. He is a roaring lion walking to and fro seeking whom he may devour. That does not exclude us. If you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not, right now tonight, you are in the fight of your life. It is not my desire to cause you to have great fear of the devil. But it is my desire to get our church to understand that the devil works with great deception. And he works with great temptation to try to cause us to fall. And everybody say amen. If you don't believe that tonight, you're as blind as a bat in a snowstorm wearing sunglasses. Don't think here tonight, well, I'm a little old bitty nobody and the devil don't care about me. He don't want you to know Jesus. He don't want you to make it to heaven. He don't want you to serve God successfully. It doesn't matter who you are because every human being on this planet that he can destroy he can put in his little trophy case and show God, see, I got them. See, I got them. See, you thought you were going to get them, but I got them, God. I don't care if it is an old man or an old woman or a child. I don't care if they're not all mentally there and if they're this and they're that and they don't make good money and they don't do that. All I want you to know, God, is this is one more soul that you created that I got. I have a feeling that if our spiritual discernment went through a process of great improvement, we would be suddenly more aware of what was going on around us. That's why when we are praying, that's why we promote prayer, 
That's why we ask you to study the Word of God, to fast. I hope everyone here tonight is participating in our 21-day Daniel fast. Got really amazed. I got a text from somebody yesterday. We have announced that. We've sent out emails. It's been on our screens. It's been everywhere. And somebody says, oh, yeah, when did that start? Like, dear God, you've been sitting here for a month. Uh, See? Here? I don't mean to be. You get the point. But that's why when we are praying and we're spending time with the Word of God, that our mind and our spirit have a higher sense to be able to see patterns and to see the way that the devil can take advantage of us. Listen to pastor tonight. I'm not trying to lull you to sleep with him. Just a kind of a short, nifty Bible study. I'm not going to get done with it tonight. I need that two hours, but you're not willing to give it, so it is what it is. Or are you? I can do it. I'm kidding. But when you start praying and fasting and making an effort to get close to God, who is going to be on your back doorstep? You're going to feel His presence. He's going to intimidate you with fear and doubt and question. Slewfoot is going to show up. And I want to tell you tonight, and I'm being as honest as I can, and I ain't putting out a welcome mat out for the dude either. But it bothers me sometimes when he ain't around. Because when he ain't around... I'm not a threat. When he's not around, he's kind of got me where he wants me. The only solace I have when the devil's not around is when he has been soundly defeated by something God has done in my life and he runs off with his tail between his legs, but he's yelping every step of the way, I'll be back, I'll be back, I'll be back. And he does. He always comes back and we should be aware of that. I'm trying to have you understand tonight, when the devil somehow lulled us off to sleep this year as a church and kind of abandoned prayer and and what have you, and I felt like we were going through the motions, this thing has has, has awakened me and I've not been the same since then. We need to understand that there's far more at stake here tonight than we care to realize and sometimes even want to think about. Your kid's soul's at stake. The soul of your grandkids are at stake and we drift along like it's not a big deal and we have from eternity and back to get them right with God. No, we don't either. Spend a long time on that point. We have to understand that when we start drawing close to God, the devil's going to fight you and I'm going to talk more about that in just a moment. But through the years... Listen to what I'm about to say. I've had the opportunity to speak from time to time with some of our UPC missionaries. And when the conversation turns real serious, I'm always curious, I've always been curious to hear them speak their thoughts concerning spiritual warfare on their their foreign mission field. I've heard stories of them being confronted, I mean openly, brazenly confronted with the demonic. One of our missionaries, uh, Brother Matt Carpenter, was in Africa for a number of years, uh, told me just a hair-raising story of trying to intercede and intervene for a, a, a... very much so, excuse my English here tonight, but a, a, a young girl in a, a small village that was under incredible demonic possession. And he intervened on behalf of that girl and, and spent some 12 to 14 hours being thrown around her bedroom like a rag doll, literally. And it was not until the daybreak that he finally was able to win the victory over that. But they are confronted. Uh, Brother David Ward told me a story, missionary to Tanzania, Africa, for a number of years, that he finally trained his some of his church leaders when 
somebody comes into our church and they're devil-possessed and they start all that bucking and jerking and screaming and all that stuff, from now on, just go and find a blanket. Wrap them up in a blanket and tie ropes around them and just prop them against the wall. And we'll let them go through the whole service and let that demon squirm. And then when church is over, we'll cast him out. Do that here and you'd be sued and put in jail and everything else. But they're confronted with that. Virtually on a daily basis, some way, somehow. This fits with the apostolic pattern in Acts chapter 8. The apostles encountered Simon the sorcerer. In Acts chapter 16, there was a slave girl uh, that was a fortune teller. These things happen in the Word of God and they happen now. So what is chilling to me is the fact that all these missionaries tell me that when they come home on furlough after a four-year stint of being on their far mission field, they notice a deadened spiritual state among a lot and even most of our churches. There's very little fervor. There's very little passion. The worship is just glorified entertainment with good music and singing. And I've asked these missionaries, what do you think? What, what's, what's your ideas about this and so on? And they're all quick to say, is when we're on the foreign mission field, they come, the demons come out and face you head on, face to face, because the culture is kind of given to that in so many areas of our world. But here in America, they don't have to do that. What a devil can do, if you will, is come sit beside you in church and whisper in your ear when Pastor Murphy is literally preaching his heart out as we have done in the past several weeks. I just, yeah, he's going through a phase. He'll get over it. You know, it, it's not a big deal. Don't get all worked up over that stuff. Just, you know, just keep doing what you're doing. Look, you've done it for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, however long. And, you know, it's not a big deal. You, you made it this far, and you don't have to get all fervent and go down there and cry. Come on, man. That, that went away 30 years ago, walking up to the front of the church and crying and feeling sorry and all that. No, don't worry about it. It'll, it'll pass. And just like, it, you know, the church goes through cycles. And, you know, the pastor's just kind of on a, he's just all fired up right now. And it, it's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. That's what he does to us. That's what he has done to us. Can I take it a step further? That's what he's doing to us. And we're falling for that show you that in just a minute. On the flip side of our American church culture, you have the, uh, it's the sons of Sceva. It's found in, in Acts chapter 19. You may not recognize that name, but you'll quickly recognize the story. They encountered somebody that was devil possessed and they went to cast the devil out. And the devil spoke to them out of that person and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but... So I wonder sometimes, if we were faced with demonic possession, what would the devil say? Would he be fearful of us because we're on our game, man? Excuse the expression, but it's my vernacular, but... We're plugged in. We've been consistently praying and fasting and, and uh, studying the Word of God and we're, we're reaching out to people and we're, we're, we go through moments of travail where God just purges us and cleans us out and then we go through moments of intercession where we beg with tears streaming down our face and snot coming out of our nose and God, save my kids, save my grandkids, God, Minister to my friends and God heal that loved one of mine and that friend of mine that's so sickly and what have you. And God, we've got to have an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And God, we've got to have a move of God in our city and our church needs to be revived. If we're praying like that, I'm not worried about it. But when we've been drifted off to sleep, I have wondered. 
we've not had people that come in under demonic oppression or possession. But our atmosphere doesn't challenge them. They don't have to get buck wild and fuss and cuss and all that. They're not intimidated by what's going on in our atmosphere, so uh, it's not a big deal. I'll just sit quietly and continue to whisper in people's ear and let them know and persuade them that you just keep doing what you're doing. And, you know, it's got you this far all these years, and, you know, you've hardly ever prayed anyway, but, you know, just, just pray now and then and just keep repenting once in a while and trumpet sounds, you might make it. And so we, that's kind of how we, church becomes an option. Studying the word of God becomes an option. And the third thing that we are facing as a result of all of that, lifestyle becomes an option. I'll come to that in a little while. If I have time tonight, if you don't, we'll pick it up next Wednesday, Lord willing. The life, the lives of Christians here in America are characteristically marked with little prayer, little devotion, little hunger for the Word of God, little to no hunger for holiness. As a matter of fact, we do our best to be just holy enough. Don't want to go too far now, Pastor. Look, we got to have a little world now and then, and got to have a little worldliness now and then, and Everybody has a little sin in their life once in a while, so, you know, just dabbling around out there and playing around. We've, we've learned to do this balancing act. And as a result of all of that, here's the bottom line, is there's no desire for a harvest of the lost souls of men. I am convinced tonight that there's people here at Grace that really want to impact their community for Christ. They, they really want to see their family saved. They, they really want to move forward in the will and purpose of God. And I want nothing more than to take the word of God and help all of us see to it that we understand the stakes. We understand the battle that's going on for our souls. This year, I've got a steady diet of, of people saying, yeah, I'll teach that Sunday school class. Yeah, I'll do this. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll, I'll work here. I'll work there. But I really don't want to, but I'll go ahead and do it uh, until you can find someone else. I would to God that we could get so passionate and on fire that it's like, point me to a Sunday school class. Point me to a leadership role. Point me in the direction, Pastor, where you need me. And it's not begging and pleading and and all of that to get people involved. It's because we've been lulled to sleep. And so it's not a big deal if our kids are educated or not in the Word of God. And it's not a big deal if our music program is really anointed. As long as it sounds good, it's not. don't really matter. Pastor, that, you know, God understands I don't have time to teach a Bible study. And God understands that I really don't have that much time to pray. And Furthermore, I really don't care about it that much because it's hard to pray when you can't see who you're talking to. It's praying to the air, and it's hard to do that, and I get distracted, you know, and, I, and the phone rings. God understands all that. I'm not so, so sure that God is as understanding as we think he is. Bottom line is we, including your pastor, have been fooled. Not to sin some great sin not to cheat on your spouse, not to go rob a bank, not to go buy a six-pack of booze tonight and get stone drunk. We've just been tempted to take a little nap spiritually and let the world go by. Somehow we've carved out some spiritual existence and have convinced ourselves that God will rescue us. We'll be okay. You know, we're, we're the apostolic people. We've got the market on God. We've got the market on truth. So sure about that. The Jews thought the same thing, and I preached that to you, taught you that several Wednesday nights ago. They told John the Baptist that that fired up, passionate contempt for God that we're the seed of Abraham. Remember what John said? He said, Now that's 
God can raise up stones and make them to see the days of him. Forget about you. He'll fulfill his promises. I'm shaken here tonight on the inside. I'm bothered. I'm bothered bad. We need to pray. I preached worship this past Sunday. About, I think about a third of our folks, I felt like got on board with it. The others were just another Sunday morning. Folks, we've been lulled to sleep. I want to tell you, when tragedy comes or heartache comes, I don't know how many of you know where our country is headed, though. We're hearing all about the election. No one's talking about that $16 trillion that we owe to China and Japan and Argentina and, and others. Nobody's talking about that, but that bill is going to come due. I heard just today that if it's not dealt with carefully and quickly, there's at least 2.5 million people that will lose their job next year, minimum. So when you're standing in a food line and we're going through another depression, I'm not trying to use scare tactics here tonight. That's the way it is. That's it. There'll be rioting in the streets and robbery and theft will go out of, the, out of sight. Have you heard the price of gasoline in California? I understand the reasoning for that but there's not an easy, cheap fix. Are they paying six bucks a gallon? I heard just this afternoon that there's the college in Austin, Texas, is wanting their students to carry their little ID card with a chip in it so they can monitor where they are and try to get more of them in their class. And here we are just, Wish uh, uh, I pray tonight that somehow we can educate ourselves and understand that the, the, there's a, a, a huge movement among the Muslim people to destroy this country, and they're doing it one terrorist attack at a time, and our government is sleeping. And oh God, we have another 50 years get our kids back in church and our grandkids back in church. Oh, God, isn't God just, he is so good, Pastor. And we'll make the prayer meeting in another couple of months. You know, we've got stuff going on that's more important than praying. And Am I getting through to anybody here tonight? We are living. I've heard this all of my life. Sister Teeny, you've heard it obviously longer than I have. I've heard about the Soviet Union coming down and destroying Israel. The Soviet Union don't even exist anymore. As a matter of fact, I think Russia is more in alignment with the Word of God than Soviet Union. But anyway, I've heard this all of my life. I've heard Brother Richard Hurd and Brother Whalen and Brother Marvin Treese. I've heard these people all of my life. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. But I want to tell you, it's one thing to wait on prophecy being fulfilled. It's another when it's happening right in your face every day, every day, every day. And I'm telling you, folks, this is a misnomer and an oxymoron. We're closer to the coming of Christ than we ever have been. Duh. But it is more prevalent. It's more real. It's closer than it's ever been. We don't have Sundays to waste anymore. We don't have prayer meetings to waste anymore. We don't have Bible studies to waste anymore. We don't have opportunities get a hold of God and waste those opportunities anymore. The Bible said Second Corinthians chapter 2 verse 11 Let Satan get an advantage of us. I hope we're not ignorant of his devices. But I think we are. We've been tempted. Somebody say tempted. We've been tempted. What would it take to fill this church up with praying meetings? What would it take to fill this church up on Sunday morning? And, you know, we, we will bypass, and I'm not making pot shots at anybody. I'm not into that. But, but could a prayer meeting for once take precedence over... Someone's birthday party, a ball game, some social activity. Could, could a Sunday morning schedule take precedent over that pointless trip out of town where we say we need to rest, but we go on vacation and don't rest, so you come home and you need a vacation to rest up from your last vacation. 
We're in this mode, man, where everything on the planet is important but our spiritual man. And somehow we've forgotten, we've been tempted that our spiritual man is the most important because it's that part of us that's going to live forever somewhere. This, this isn't in my notes, but I, 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 I'm desperate. I'm not going to patronize the, the Smith family in any way, shape, or form. Brother and sister Danny Smith are at the boys' ranch giving it all they've got every day. But my son Marcus was born five days ahead of theirs. It's an intensive care unit right now. And I left the hospital yesterday with tears streaming down my face. I didn't show it in front of them, but I thought, dear God, if that was my son, I'd be out of my mind. And God is comforting them, and he's blessing them, and he's giving them strength. And I believe God's going to take care of Landon. But it does something to me, man, that if that came to my doorstep, is that what, and I'm not saying this in application to the Smiths, but I'm just using it, what if that had happened to me? What would my response to that be? You know, when you have a child, and I'm not patronizing, please don't misunderstand, but I'm using this to illustrate the point. If your child, your spouse, was laying in an intensive care unit tonight with weeks and months ahead of them in the hospital, you still going to the ball game Saturday? You still going to the birthday party and out of town or whatever? Oh, no, no, no. It all changes. We need God now. So what does God have to do then in order to wake us up? I've been praying, God, shake us gently. Wake me up gently. You don't have to get the picture of ice water. Just shake me gently and I'll get up. I'll wake up. I've watched our services. I've watched here in this church, in this building, and it just blows me away that you have those deep, compelling moves of the Holy Ghost. And there's people here that needs the Holy Ghost. And there's a well-meaning child of God that's laughing and cutting up with that person while there's a move of God going on. Do you think you have from forever to get this person prayed through the Holy Ghost? Am I too hard tonight? I apologize. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, let me go on. Jesus told Peter, this is an ignorant fisherman. It didn't make enough money to amount to a hill of beans. When it came time to pay taxes, he didn't have money. Jesus said, Simon, Satan desires to have you. That he may sift you as wheat. There's one point tonight, and I'm, I'm on a, I'm going to close. I, 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 this has gone long enough, but and I'll pick it up next Wednesday night in a different vein. I've been talking about being tempted, and this is what's happened to a lot of us. And occasionally, we we bring it up from the pulpit that God would revive and restore that spirit of a new convert in us. <laughs> but um, there's. There's times in our life when the devil would tempt us, and they're, they're, they're notable. As much as he knows our pattern, I think by now we should know his, even though we don't, or if we do, we don't pay attention. But the Bible referred to it as season. Jesus was tempted for a season. Ecclesiastes said that there's a season for everything under heaven. So, there, excuse me, there's a clear understanding as to the fact that there are certain seasons that take place in our life, and if the devil left the Lord for a season, and that means that he's gone for a while, but <laughs> he's coming back. And usually he comes back with help. One writer said, Satan knows when to make his approaches, when, if at any time, he is most likely to be entertained. As Christ hath the tongue of the learned, to speak a word in season of counsel and comfort to a doubting, drooping soul. The writer goes on to say, So also 
Satan shows his black art or black craftiness, his dark sinful ways, his hellish skills in speaking words of seduction and temptation in a season. And a word in season is a word on its wheels, he said. So as much as God knows how to come to your rescue when you're going through a season of trial and despair, so also does the devil know when to come to you when you're in a season of vulnerability. Paul wrote, Peter wrote in the New Testament that we should be aware of that. He said to be sober, be vigilant for your adversary, the devil. So it behooves us to understand how he plays, how he works on us. We should be aware of that. And we should be aware of times of vulnerability. There is many of those. One huge one, and I'll come to it later, is when you're on that spiritual high, buddy, you and God have it going on. Excuse my vernacular. Be ready. The first one I'll mention to you tonight, and I'll, I'll go through this briefly, and there's five others that I'd like to talk to you about next Wednesday night. But the devil, the devil knows, and he does his best to attack a person after they have come to God either initially or have been backslidden for a space of time and come back to God. The devil will watch that person. You hear me tonight. He's crafty, and he's had almost 6,000 years of experience in dealing with people. Don't think you're the only personality type that he's ever dealt with. You're not new. There's been a bajillion people that's had the same personality type as you that's lived 100, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 years ago. He ain't new with you. He's got lots of experience with you. Oh, yeah, she's a certain, yeah, I know. I know where that person's vulnerable at. Yeah, I know what his weaknesses are. I've dealt with 25,000 people like that. When a person comes to God initially or comes back to God, the devil hates it when that happens. Hates it when that happens. He's not going to give you a free pass. And when you come to God initially or you come back to God, he's going to, he's going to find you at your most vulnerable moment and then he will attack. He probably won't come in the first week after your new conversion. He won't come back after probably a month but because you're so high-pitched and so full of desire and excitement, what's the use? He, he knows he's going to be pushed aside there's new wonder in your soul and you have a desire for worship and the word of God and for prayer and for personal evangelism. So the devil shies away for a little while. He'll, he'll come back. He knows your season. He knows where you are. And he'll watch and he'll wait. And when there seems to him to be a season of vulnerability, When your initial inspiration and excitement of your newfound experience in Jesus begins to taper off a little bit, that's usually when he will attack, and this is how he does it. First of all, he'll probably have you ridiculed and persecuted a little bit, criticized, made fun of, usually from your closest friends and family. They will approach you and say, okay, you've been in this business, this occult, long enough. It's time for you to come back. Come on and go with us to here and go with us there. And Come on, let's do the. You remember the old times we used to have when we'd sit around and suck on marijuana and drink booze? You remember that you know deep down you want to do that. This is what he does. And oftentimes he is successful. And he will just chip away and chip away and chip away. Let me tell you what he don't do. He don't walk up and say, 
Hey, Brother Merrill, I'm Lucifer, and I am fixing to make your life in every way I can an absolute living hell. He ain't going to do that. He's going to come as quietly, as shyly, as easy, unnoticed. And you're trying to figure out, where's all this coming from all of a sudden? I thought these people liked me. I thought they cared about me. I mean, my own mother is trying to chase me away from God. I have seen this happen across the board. A family that don't serve God and one of their teenagers comes and converts and now all of a sudden mom and dad get all buck wild crazy and say, you can't go to that church anymore. It's happened here at Grace in the past several months. A young lady was coming, went to youth camp, prayed through the Holy Ghost and we've seen her two or three times since. Found out what happened. You ain't going back to that church. I'd rather you sleep around and commit fornication. I'd rather you have lesbian tendencies. I'd rather you smoke. I'd rather you curse. I'd rather cut you, you cut yourself with knives. I'd rather you do all of that than to go to that church. It's not that their mom and dad's crazy. It's the devil. That's how he works. Y'all understand that? He'll come to you through intense temptation from the old crowd to go do the old things again. He'll come and he'll remind you of your failures. Remember how horrible you were. Remember all that nasty stuff you used to do and now you're in church here all goody two-shoes and trying to be holy and all that and you know deep down you're scum and you're trash and you don't amount to anything. That's what he does. I apologize for my vernacular tonight, but I'm desperate. We've got to see a move of God in our church. Somehow we fall into these conditions. And so through distractions of all, of all kinds, he comes to the new convert or the one that's recently prayed back through that's been backslidden for years and years. He comes with entertainment and eating and shopping and hobbying so that there's no time to really care for your soul. And your soul is always going to be cultivated in the quiet places of devotion, private prayer, private Bible reading, private meditation, and so on, through making them to think that they can have the best of both worlds, this new person, this new convert thinks, well, yeah, I am a little over the top here, you know, and I don't have to be so buck wild for Jesus. You know, Wednesday night church, that is a great night to set on with kids, and, you know, there's so much to do and laundry and all of that, and, you know, and, and we do need to go out of town now and then. And so, you know, and, and, and it's always go out of town to miss church. It, it, it always involves church. You know, we're going to miss church. And you don't go out of town that much to miss your job, but church is an option. You understand that? You know, you don't have to be here. It's not that important. Come on, you can go back next Sunday and, you know, you can sing and just get right back to where you don't realize that the devil slowly but surely is lullaby. follow through on this and I'm, I'm, I'm kidding you I'm not what happens we've been lulled to sleep and the phone rings the doctor wants to send you in his office right now your child is involved in a horrible accident or has a thought caused in him and says I know you've worked here for a number of years but I'm what the devil does. He jumps all over that like wildfire. See, all this serving God business you've been doing, he don't tell you he's lulled you to sleep and you ain't prayed enough to mount the hill of angels past the verse. You haven't read the Bible. You don't know his devices. You don't know how the devil works. You're completely ignorant as we just read in the scripture. And so now it's God's fault. God let this happen to you. God's not doing his job. God's not bailing you out. Well, you don't realize how we've drifted away and off into our little spiritual oblivion and now something bad's happened and we are a million miles away from God so it seems and God don't swoop down and intervene and 
take care of everything, and now all of a sudden it's his fault, and the devil is... Well, I worked that one like a champ, didn't I? And he tells his other little demon, see, that's how it's done. If you can lull them off to sleep and something bad happens in their life, they're going to blame God. They never blame me. some uncontrollable circumstance of life. And I know people, and so do you, that if they're bitter towards God right now, they wouldn't give God the time of day because it's God's fault for all the stuff that's happened in their life. And they don't realize they were very gently over a process of time lulled to sleep by the devil. Something happened, and now the devil has convinced them that it's God's fault. Need to understand this divine principle. This coming Tuesday comes around. Don't sit around your house and think of how many good, solid reasons that we could give not to go pray. But instead, think of that lost son, that lost daughter, those lost grandkids, lost friends, lost spouse, a lost brother and sister, whoever. And I'm going to set the laundry aside and washing the car aside and all that stuff. I'm going to set it aside. And I'm going to the church this morning. And I'm not leaving until God has heard what I have to say. Amen. Next Tuesday night. Next Tuesday. I don't know all the reasons that people aren't interested in prayer. And there's millions of them. I don't know all of them. We've got to push that aside and realize what priorities are. Do you know that we're on the advent of the rapture of the church? Does anybody believe that besides me? You believe it? If you believe it, then we need to start acting like we believe it. I'm not asking anybody to go crazy and paint your skin green and little head and penny coming out on your head and become a Martian or a weirdo or whatever. I'm not asking you to do that. But there's a whole lot more passion we can put into our relationship with God if we would. Be amazing what God could do with a few people. Can you wake up? Stand with me tonight. The Bible says that weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. It can make a play on words at that time of the morning. It can mean a sunrise. I'll use a play on words as it can mean all that moaning and groaning we do. Morning. There's morning about to come. But if we'll wake up, listen. Sun's rising morning. Time to quit finding excuses. Whining. We'll get plugged into God and learn how to repent, learn how to worship. There's a whole lot of stuff in our head and our heart will just go away immediately. You lift your hands and pray with me right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you.